So we're in our series, uh, The Parables. We're studying the parables Jesus spoke. And today we're going to deal with, excuse me, today we're going to deal with a parable of judgment called the parable of the tenants. Now, why is this a parable of judgment? Why is it called a judgment parable? And the reason why is because Jesus uses this parable to speak directly to the Jewish leaders, because at this point in the whole grand scheme of things, they were challenging Jesus's authority. They were making things difficult for him to proclaim the gospel message. And they were also starting to plot to have him delivered up to the Roman authorities to, to be crucified. So basically what happens is Jesus tells this parable, which kind of recounts what historically happened with the Jewish people and their response to the prophets that were sent. And then it's also prophetic in nature. It's also going to predict what is going to happen to Jesus. So we're going to pick up in Matthew 21, verse 33. If you have your handout, it's all printed out in your handout. So it says this. Hear another parable. There was a master of the house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. So in this parable, the master represents God, the vineyard is Israel, and the tenants are the leaders of Israel. Now, the Jewish leaders on hearing this would understand this language of the vineyard being known as Israel. Because in Isaiah 5, 1 through 2, it says this. It's a prophetic passage. It says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard and a very on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of the stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. And he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. So basically, this is a prophecy of how the Jewish people would respond to Jesus. They would be like wild grapes. In Jeremiah 2, 21, it also says, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy, a pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Again, this is prophetic of Israel and how they would become this wild vine and reject Jesus. And then in Psalm 80, verse 8, it says, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. So this is about Israel being delivered from slavery out of Egypt. So when the Jewish leaders heard this parable and heard about this vineyard and this vine, they would automatically start to connect the dots. Okay, this vine, Israel is known as a vine. So now these passages have historical content, obviously, but they also have prophetic content because they predict the unwillingness of the Jewish people to accept Jesus. So let's move on in the parable, verse 34. It says, when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. So the servants represent the prophets. So now historically, the prophets were messengers sent by God to reveal God's plan to the people and also to confront people, when the Jewish people, when they were in sin. So if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that in many cases, the prophets were beaten, they were abused, they were killed for bringing God's message to God's people. 
So we get into some foreshadowing now and some prophecy. It says this in verse 37. It says, finally, he sent his son saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. So now, obviously, Jesus here is now speaking of himself. He's speaking about himself. The son of the master is the son of God. Jesus came to this earth in human flesh to teach and proclaim salvation to all, and they killed him. John 1, verse 11 says this, He came to that which was his own, which is the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. So now, generally speaking, the religious Jewish people rejected him, and they eventually delivered him up to be crucified. So what Jesus does next at the, at the end of this parable is instead of saying what should happen to these, these evil tenants that killed the servants of the master, that killed the son of the master, what should happen? Instead of saying this is what should happen to them, here's what he does with the religious leaders that are listening. He asks them, he says, what therefore the owner of the vineyard, when, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the tenants? So instead of telling him what they should do to the tenants, he asked them, what do you guys think in your judgment? So Jesus is asking, what do you expect this master to do? What do these people deserve? What does justice look like in this situation? So he let them decide. And guess what? They decided rightly in this situation because in verse 41, he said that, it says this, they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out, let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. So first, here's what they say. They should be put to death. And then they say this, then the vineyard should go into the hands of new tenants, tenants that will actually take good care and give the master the fruits that are rightfully his. So let's stop here for a minute. Now we see the Jewish leaders viewing the situation and saying this is what justice looks like in the situation. Put to death the wicked tenants and give the new tenants an opportunity to steward the vineyard. So be, excuse me, Jesus basically told this parable to engage their emotions and challenge what Israel did to the prophets and what would eventually happen to him. So you see how Jesus used this parable, this story, to actually engage them, to make them think, what would you do in this situation? If that was your vineyard, if those were your tenants that you hired, if those were your servants that you sent to those tenants and they killed them, if that was your son and you sent them to those tenants and they killed your son, what would you do? And they answered, they answered. So now that he had their attention, Jesus said to them in verse 42, have you never read the scriptures? Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. So now here's what Jesus does. Before we get in deep here, 
I want, to, I want to ask you a question. I want you to focus in on the question. He says this, have you never read the scriptures? He's talking to religious Jewish leaders and asking them, have you never read the scriptures? This was to very religious people that should know the scriptures. Now, I remember when I was a kid, if I would do something wrong or something really dumb, maybe your parents said this to you, my dad would always say this statement. He would say, you know better than that. Anybody else's parents say that? You do something wrong, you know better than that. That's basically what Jesus is saying to the religious leaders here. They knew the scriptures, so he's saying, you know better than that. But you know what? Let's move away from this parable for a few minutes and apply it to our everyday Christian life. When we're faced with decisions on what to say, on how to act, on what to do, on how to respond, how to treat people, how to spend our money, how we should work, how we should parent, what type of son or daughter you should be, what type of spouse you should be, what type of friend you should be. The list can go on and on and on. When we're faced with decisions on how we should act in any and every situation, Jesus is asking us, have you never read the scriptures? Do you know what the scriptures say about these issues? Well, listen, if you're facing a situation and you don't know what the scriptures say about it, or if the scriptures say anything about it, here's what you need to do. You have a responsibility to find out. You have a responsibility to dig in. Now, there's many ways to do that. There's many ways to do that. First, get yourself on a steady diet of actually getting into the scriptures on a daily basis. But you know what? One of the easiest ways in 2021, one of the biggest gifts that we have right now in 2021 is actually the internet. Now, some of you might say, oh, the internet's bad, but we know the internet is a wealth of information. And guess what you can do when it comes to the scriptures? You can actually type in in any browser this question. What do the scriptures say about fill in the blank? If you do that in your Google search, you can say, what do the scriptures say about this? And guess what it's gonna do? It's gonna spit out all the scriptures that talk about that issue or that situation. If there are any scriptures that deal with that, then what you do next is you look at all those scriptures, figure out which one applies, look at the context, study. I can guarantee if you start doing this in your life, not only will you learn, you'll actually grow because you're actually getting into God's word and you're using this search engine to actually help guide you and direct you in those ways. So then we, we have to ask ourselves at this point, what do these verses say to my situation? So then you can actually answer the question, yes, to Jesus when he says, have you never read the scriptures in those areas? But you know what? Sometimes you've read the scriptures, you know what they say, and you're faced with a situation, but you ignore the scriptures. And Jesus is asking you, have you never read the scriptures? Come on. Like my dad used to say, you know better than that. Come on. For you out here who are Christians, who know the scriptures, who know what these things say, when you're faced with a situation, you have to ask, you know what? I know what the scriptures say here. 
That's how Jesus is asking these religious leaders. They were very religious. They were brought up to know the scriptures. That's why Jesus says, have you never read the scriptures? Come on. You're reading these things. I'm right here before you. I'm the fulfillment of these very things. So then he goes on and he says this, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now the stone here is Jesus. The builders are the religious leaders. Now what exactly is the cornerstone? So Jesus is that cornerstone, obviously, but what is a cornerstone? Well, in relation to architecture, a cornerstone traditionally is the first stone laid for the structure, and every other stone is laid in reference to that stone. Now, there's a few things I want to point out here about that. The religious leaders rejected Jesus. Jesus, being the cornerstone, was before the foundation of time, meaning Jesus was not created, right? He was God. He became human. He came in human flesh and made his dwelling on this earth. So when they rejected Jesus, in turn, they were rejecting everything about God, even though they were religious. Think about this. They spent their entire life studying the scriptures. The very word of God was walking before them in the God-man Jesus Christ, and they rejected him. Jesus is like, have you never read that? What are you, what are you thinking when you read this? See, now all other stones are laid in reference to the cornerstone. Now, for us as believers, this should signify the way we live our lives. In every situation, we need to ask, what does Jesus say about this? What would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus want me to do? That means in every situation, whether it's at work or at school or at home, no matter where it is, in every situation, you have to ask, what does Jesus want me to do here? What do the scriptures say? Now, sometimes people treat the entirety of the Bible as kind of like an encyclopedia. They look through it for information, and they ignore how Jesus lived when he was here on earth. They look at the scripture like it's just information, rather than looking at the life of Christ and how he responded to people and how he dealt with other people. They say, oh, well, in Leviticus, it will say this or that or some, you know, rare occasion where a verse says this or that. As believers, we need to look to Jesus and how he handled the scriptures, how he used the scriptures, but how he acted every day that he was here on this earth. You know, as Christians, our heroes, Jesus, our role models, Jesus, the way we should act should be like Jesus. The way we treat people should be like Jesus. Our goal is to actually emulate Jesus. Do you know that Christian actually means little Christ? You see, we're supposed to be like little Jesuses all over this world. And the people around us should see Jesus when they're with us. You know, sometimes some of American Christianity has morphed or been hijacked, right? Have you noticed this? It's morphed or hijacked into like nationalism, conservatism, religious right. When we look at the way the people are living and handling themselves in many of those movements, we don't see Jesus at all, okay? We see a bunch of people that are actually acting like modern-day Pharisees. People that are saying, I'm right, you're wrong, and then if you don't agree with me, I'm going to treat you harshly. 
That's not the way Jesus operated with people. Jesus was not pleased with the Pharisees. He was not pleased with the Pharisees. As Christians, we should be known for the same character traits as Jesus. When people are with us, they should actually feel like they're with one of God's children because that's actually what we are. But now in this next statement, there's some deep theological implications. Listen to what Jesus says. This is right after it says, the stone of the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. But did you catch this? It says, this was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. Remember, the sentence before that is the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. So this was the Lord's doing, meaning that the rejection and ultimate crucifixion of Jesus was in God's plan all along. Wait, what? Do you mean to tell me that the crucifixion of Jesus, the miserable death that Jesus died, was in the plan all along? Yeah. You heard that right. Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead was in the master plan the entire time. We see the death of Jesus predicted as early as Genesis 3. We see the prophecies of Jesus coming true. Jesus dying and Jesus rising from the dead throughout the Old Testament. Jesus himself predicted his death and resurrection three times in the Gospels, alluded to it many more times. This was in the plan all along. Do you remember the account of Jesus before Pilate when they delivered Jesus up to the Roman ruler Pilate? And he sat there, right, in silence. He wouldn't answer him at one point. And Pilate said to Jesus, you will not speak to me? And then he said, do you know that I have authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? This is what he said to Jesus, Pilate. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. You get what Jesus is saying there? He's looking at the very man who could crucify him. And he's like, guess what? You don't have any authority over me. The only authority that you could ever possibly have over me has to be given to you from the Father above. Now, this reminds us that Jesus dying for us was the will of God the Father. And if it was not, it would not have happened. So Jesus says this next. He says, this is the Lord's doing. And then he says, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Now, clearly, seeing someone die the way Jesus did is not marvelous in anyone's eyes. But because of the purpose of his death, it is marvelous in our eyes because we know it was for our sake. You see, the beautiful gospel message is that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We are sinners deserving of death. But Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Three days later, he rose to prove that he is God. And the scriptures tell us this. All who believe will have eternal life. Would you say that's marvelous in our eyes? I sure would. And that's what Jesus is telling us. This whole plan for our salvation, is a marvelous, wonderful thing. We know we all hate to suffer and would rather not suffer, but we have to realize that suffering is actually not always bad. Do you know the suffering of Jesus brought us peace? 
with God the Father. Maybe you suffered in some way in your life. Actually, maybe you're suffering right now in some way in your life. And then you start connecting the dots. And then you start to see through the suffering, you grew in your faith. Through the suffering, it changed you as a person for the better. And if it wasn't for that suffering, you would not be where you are today. Maybe now, looking back, you see that suffering as something marvelous that happened to you, even though when you were going through it, you're like, this really stinks. I don't like this. But God worked through this situation to help you realize what you needed to do, how you needed to respond. So now Jesus gives it straight to the religious leaders. In verse 43, he says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people producing its fruits. Now, does this mean that the Jewish people lose their salvation or heaven is taken away from them? Well, the answer to that is no, because they were never saved, okay? They were never saved. What Jesus is talking about is the fact that the Jewish leaders were called to bring forth God's message of salvation to the people. They failed because they rejected Jesus, and because of their rejection, they did not bring the message to the people. They were leading people the wrong way. So the kingdom is now open to the Gentiles, and the fruit produces the real saving faith, which results in others seeing who God is. Now we, right, those of us who believe, have this amazing opportunity to steward the kingdom, meaning we have a message of salvation for this world, and Jesus is saying it's your responsibility to bring forth that message to other people. So then Jesus goes on to tell them what salvation and what judgment look like. What salvation and what judgment look like. Verse 44, it says, and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it'll crush him. Now I want to break that down because in Isaiah 8, the prophet talks about the stone of offense to Israel, which is a reference to Jesus. And when we take a close look at this verse, verse 44, I think Jesus is teaching two things. The first is about the person that is saved, or in other words, the person that becomes a Christian. They are the ones that fall on this stone, or in other words, fall on Jesus. And guess what? They're broken to pieces. We are broken to pieces. Now, normally we think, you know, this is a negative, broken to pieces. What do you mean? But when it comes to salvation... It's actually a positive because this means that our pride or any ability that we thought that we had to work to save ourselves is broken down and shattered. And at that moment, we're actually able to come to Jesus. The one that is saved is the one that falls on the stone. The one that realizes, I can't do this on my own. I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. But Jesus loves me. And I'm broken in my sin, but Jesus forgives me. The second are the unsaved, or in this case, the parable towards the Jewish leaders. When the stone falls on them, they will be crushed. Now, this sounds harsh, doesn't it? This sounds harsh. They will be crushed. But what did the Jewish leaders, how did they respond when Jesus said, what should the master do to these wicked tenants? What did the Jewish leaders say? Crush them, right? 
So when the stone falls on them, they will be crushed. Now, I believe Jesus is teaching about the judgment of God that every person will face when they reject Jesus. They will be crushed. We must remember that just because someone doesn't believe that Jesus is God does not mean that Jesus is not God. And it does not mean that Jesus is not their God. And it does not mean that they will not stand before Jesus just like everyone else. Guess what? We have our opportunity to trust Jesus while we're here today, right? While we're here on this earth. And one day, we will stand before him. And when we stand before him, if we trust him, we're saved. But when we stand before him, if we've rejected him, the scriptures are very clear when it says we'll be crushed. We'll be crushed in judgment because we can't hold up to the righteousness and the holiness of God. So the closing of this account says, surprise, surprise, says this. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived he was speaking about them. Okay, think about it. These religious leaders, they're hearing Jesus teach. They're watching him do all these miracles. He's teaching about these parables. And then all of a sudden they're like, uh, guys, I think he's talking about us. Then it says, verse 46, and although they were seeking to arrest him, because they just wanted to get rid of Jesus at this point, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So the religious leaders at this point were pretty triggered, okay? They were ready to arrest him, but they were afraid because the crowds of people were following Jesus. Jesus was gaining favor in the eyes of many. People were believing him. So they knew Jesus was speaking about them, but at that point they were afraid to do anything to him because the multitudes of people thought Jesus was a prophet. So now for us today, this parable of judgment. Obviously, it was directed very specifically to those Jewish religious leaders at that day. But what do we take away from this? Well, I think the main takeaway for us is this. Fall on Jesus and be broken and realize you need to trust him or ignore him. And when you leave this earth, you will be crushed. I can assure you that his desire for you is to fall on him. I can assure you of that, that his desire, because he loves you, because he cares so deeply about you, his desire is for you to actually fall on him and be broken. Realize that you cannot save yourself, but that we have a loving savior that is willing to save us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. I'm thankful for each person that's here. I'm thankful that we can look at this parable. And although it is about judgment, which is a big negative in many people's minds, we know that you are the loving judge, that you desire to save each person, and that we have to come to you. I'm thankful for that. I'm, I pray, Lord, that if anyone here today does not know you as their Savior, they would fall on you and be broken. I pray for all those who are believers here. Thinking about that question, have you never read the scriptures? We have this life to live before you, Lord. 
and we need to get into your word so that we know what your word says. Because when you were here on this earth, you lived by your word. And we're thankful for that. So we pray as believers that we would dig deep into your word so that we can know you better and so we can know how to respond in each and every situation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.